Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Today I want to talk about uncommon grace and just focus on the fact that simply God is good. To some of you all, I might sound like Joel Osteen today with this message, not with the tone of my voice, but with the content of the message. And uh, he is often criticized because of his, his message. And if you listen to it and you dissect it, he's really just reminding us how good God is, how much God loves you. I'm telling you, you can never get too much love. You can never get too much of God's grace. So I just thought I would begin by just focusing on the fact that during the holiday season, you should expect to receive a gift or two, a card or two in the mail, or somebody might even put something in your hand. But I don't want you to be too disappointed because sometimes the gifts that we received, they were given to us and they're being re-gifted. Don't look at nobody, just keep looking at me and you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of us have re-gifted something, but you know who you are? Lady Judy, don't you? <laughs> we we re-gift those things that people lovingly or intentionally gave to us, but we didn't want them. So we rewrap it, we write a new name on it, and we give it lovingly with a smile to somebody else. Be blessed. There are some common gifts that are that are rewrapped and re-gifted during the holidays. Things like candles, fruitcake, gift cards. They're easy to re-gift. Bath products, lotions and gels and and soaps and even housewares are re-gifted. I feel like the Lord is saying to us during today's message about uncommon is that he wants us to re-gift him to the world. We've received him, every one of us who are born again and saved, we received him by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. None of us earned our salvation. None of us deserve to see Jesus. None of us deserve to receive his love. And what we have received, we sometimes have given to the world in a form of religion 
that have caused the world to have a wrong perception of who Christ is. We have presented a Jesus, we have gifted the world with a Jesus that the world believes is angry at them. A Jesus who is out to get them and is looking for an opportunity to punish them. We've wrapped Jesus in the wrong packaging. We need to make sure that we are wrapping Jesus securely in the gospel. The gospel. Not in our opinions, not in our traditions, but in the gospel. Paul said, if any man preach any other gospel, let them be accursed. And the church, the church is literally operating without the glory because we are presenting a Jesus that is based on our religion and our opinion of God. But the gospel is a message of grace. It's uncommon grace. It, it's radical generosity. The gospel, Jesus said, is like a father that had a hundred sheep. And one of them went astray, so he left the 99 and he went and found the one sheep. And when he found the one sheep, he threw a party. The gospel is like a, a woman that had 10 coins and she lost one of them and she, she didn't rest until she found the one coin. And when she found it, she threw a party. It's like a father that had two sons and the younger son disrespected, dishonored his father, did not deserve forgiveness, but the father looked every day and when he saw his son, he ran to the son. Didn't wait for the son to come to him he ran to the sun I'm telling you it's uncommon put a robe on him put rings on his hand put shoes on his feet then threw a party uncommon radical generosity that's what the gospel is the gospel is that none of us not one of us in this place or anybody listening to this message deserves or earns or merits God's forgiveness there is nothing that you or I could do that would cause God to say, you know what, you're pretty good. Come on up in the glory. None of us are holy. None of us are sinless. None of us are righteous or clean enough. In fact, Romans 3 reminds us that all of us have sinned. And all of us fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah gives us a powerful illustration of the fact that we are we are so unclean before God. In Isaiah 64 and 6, he says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But he's not talking about the kind of rag that you might wipe up a spill on the table. He's talking about a menstrual cloth. I don't have to go any further than that, do I? Your righteousness is like that in its appearance, in its use, in its smell in its decay, in its death, and all of that. Your righteousness, God says, is like that. But God, the gospel is that God made his son, Jesus Christ, who although he was very God and made in the image of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself and he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death and he died for every one of us on the cross. While we were yet sinners, <laughs> while we were still in our mess, not after you got yourself clean, not after you did certain things. So we have no part in our salvation other than by faith, to put our faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. 
so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel is that anybody can be saved. Democrat, Republican, black, white, brown, red, yellow, old, young, male, female, regardless of your ethnicity, your heritage, regardless of what you have done in the past, the gospel is that God will save you if you call on him, if you release your faith in him. And a powerful example of this is the Apostle Paul, because Paul was not always called the Apostle Paul. He was at one point called Saul, and he was a vile and a wretched and a mean and a, and a, and a, a dangerous person to, to Christians. But when he met Jesus, and when he was encountered with this Jesus that I'm talking about, when he met the grace of God face to face, Paul realized that all of his works, all of his religion, all of his intellect, all of the stuff that he could claim on his resume was like filthy rags. So Paul said, I count all of that as loss that I might gain Jesus Christ and be found in him. And then Paul was able to say in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Every one of us, you are what you are by grace. You didn't work for it. But now that you have it, you've got to do some work. Because Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, but I work, but the grace was, was not without effect within me. He said, I worked harder even than those apostles who walked with Jesus. And I did all that I did by the grace that was within me. Not only did God save Paul, but even in the lineage of Jesus Christ, he saved some folks that most of us, I'm so glad that we, we're not the grace dispensers. Because most of us would have said, no, you can't come, no, no, not you, no, oh, no, definitely not you. But when you look at the genealogy and the lineage of Jesus Christ, there's some folks in there, like David, a murderer, an adulterer, not a very good father, people like Rahab, a prostitute, if we were on 34th and, and Lisbon, I might not say prostitute. I might say, there go a... Where y'all mind at? Where y'all mind at? Come on back with me. Ruth, who was a, from an idolatrous nation. Bathsheba, who laid down with David. I mean, there were some, some scrupulous, notorious people in the very genealogy of Jesus. And yet God said, you can receive my grace. Hallelujah. When I look at the, the list in Hebrews chapter 11 about those heroes of faith, it talks about by faith Noah believed God and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. We don't read about Noah's drunkenness. <laughs> by faith Abraham offered up his son. We don't read about Abraham's lying. <laughs> we don't read about Samson's womanizing in the heroes of faith. We don't read about Jephthah who was born out of wetlock and, and Gideon who was a coward and Moses who was a murderer. Because God doesn't see your sin when you come under the blood of Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in him, all he sees is the blood. And he counts you as righteous. He says you are accepted because the blood is the only thing that I accept. Not your works. 
So God wants us to represent him. To represent means to represent. He wants us to represent him to the world. Because there's too many people that got a wrong perception. They think that they think that God is the author of sickness. They think the reason that, that Big Mama died and Daddy died and my baby died was because God has had some vendetta against them or against me. God's not the cause of that. He's not the cause of poverty. He's not the cause of pain. He's not the cause of, of suffering. There's too many wrong thoughts about religion. A.W. Tozer says this in his writing, The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think about God? What's your opinion of God? That's the most important thing about you. In Numbers chapter 20, there's a text that shows us the importance of what we think about God and how we present God. In Numbers 20, verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. So you will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in the front of the rock. And Moses said, listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arms and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of, Israel, of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I gave them. God was saying to Moses and Aaron, you misrepresented me. You gave the people a perception that I'm an angry God. That I'm a God that, that they have to literally beg, borrow, and steal in order to get water from. That I'm a God that's going to punish them. That I'm a God that, that I'm going to starve them from thirst until they, okay, now you can have some water. It's been three days. Go ahead. See, because of that consequence, you'll be able to see the promised land, but you won't be able to enter into it. Faith is having a good opinion of who God is. When you pray, people who pray, they got a good opinion of who God is. People who don't pray, they believe that God is angry. God is not a reward of those who diligently seek him. They believe that God is, is, is hard, that he's stingy, that he's cheap, that he's too busy, that he's uncaring, so we don't pray. But if you've got faith, you've got a good opinion of God. You believe that he's able to part the waters. You believe that he's able to rescue you in the ark. You believe that he's able to raise your son from the dead. I've got a good opinion of God. That's faith. We present and we preach the God that we perceive. 
Whatever you perceive about God, whatever you think about God, that's what you're going to preach and that's what you're going to present to the world. Moses sent the spies out into the promised land. It was 12 of them that were sent out. 40 days going to the, into the land. God said the land flows with milk and honey, not drips. Not every now and then you're going to get some milk and some honey, but it flows. Uncommon grace. Go and spy out the land. God has already given us the land, but just go and see it. Bring back some of the fruit of it. So 12 spies go out. Ten of them come back with a bad report. Their opinion of God is that God's not going to give us this land. God's not able to. Their opinion, they had a better opinion of their enemies, of the giants, than they did of God's. They said that, that the giants saw us like grasshoppers, and we also felt like grasshoppers in their sight. Instead of having an opinion of faith, talking about how big God was, they talked about how big the giants were. Here they are carrying a, 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 a bunch of grapes on a pole, and yet they're not focused on the fruit, they're focused on the giants. There was only two, Joshua and Caleb, that said, listen, God is so good. He's already given us the land. Those giants are not too big to fight. They're too big to miss. Listen, God is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go up right now and take the land. I'm telling you, God is so good. They were trying to convince the people, and they said, listen, that's too good to be true. It can't be that easy. How could God just literally just do all the work for us? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back and work hard. Let's go back and be slaves. Some people only see the mountains and the obstacles in life. Joshua said, no, fellas, listen. Did you see the houses? God told us he's going to give us houses that we don't even have to build. I'm talking about giant houses, not, not the tiny houses on HGTV. Giant houses. Mansions. He's giving these to us. No, that's too good to be true. God cannot be that good. Surely I've got to go and cut my own tree, you know, plane my own boards, find my own nails, make my own house, dig my own fountain. How could God be that good to just give me a house? Joshua said, no, he's not only giving us houses, he's giving us wells that we don't have to dig. God can't do that for us. Joshua, did you see that well? The giants, they dig deep. Did you see the vineyards? They've already done the work. I'm telling you, you better believe it. You better believe that God is good. You better believe that God wants to enlarge your territory, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. God is just that good. And he wants you to have it. He wants to bless you. He really does. In my Joel Osteen voice, he really loves you. He really loves you. He wants to bless you. He's not mad at you. 
I talked earlier about David and Bathsheba. Before there was repentance and before he came under the blood, God saw his sin. His sin of committing adultery with another man's wife and his sin of killing that woman's husband. And he sent Nathan the prophet to David to give David a, a parable and an illustration of how uh, this, this, this father and his daughter had their, their precious pet lamb slain and killed by another angry person. David said the person who did it is going to pay four times for what they've done. And Nathan said to David, David, you are the man. You are the man because you took this man, Uriah's precious innocent lamb for yourself. And you know what God told David? This is, you can jot this down, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. He said to David, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. He says, first of all, I anointed you king over Israel. Secondly, I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Thirdly, I gave your master's house to you. I gave your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel. I gave you Judah. And he says, listen, if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. God's not stingy. He said, then why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You despise the word of the Lord. You represented me to the world, to the nation of Israel. You represented me to your enemies that I'm a God who can give you everything that you need. David had multiple wives. I'm telling you, God is so good that God is able to give you one and you can love for a lifetime. And I believe what he, when he was telling David, I would have given you more. He's not saying I would have given you more wives because well, that's not what David really needed. And having the wives, David was, was really saying, I want, I want power. I want authority. Because each of these wives, they might represent a different nation. They may have come from a, a different country. And so I have allies and I have, I have authority. I have trade rights with, with the land that they came from. So I don't need another wife. I, got, I'll, I don't need Jezebel. I just need you, baby. And some of us have, have marriages that God is saying, listen, your, your marriage need to, needs to transfer into this realm of uncommon grace. Because God is saying, I, I can, you, 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 you're, you're surviving in it right now. And it might even be a little bit dry. But God said, listen, I can turn the water into wine. I can give you an uncommon marriage. I can give you a marriage that overflows with goodness, overflows with love. When, whenever a person commits adultery, whenever a person uh, has a, a, a promiscuous lifestyle, whether you're married or unmarried, wherever, whenever a person cheats or steals or has jealousy and envy, what you're really saying is that my perception of God is that God cannot supply my need. So I've got to work and I've got to take care of it myself. I've got to cheat because God is not good enough to prepare me to take this test by his grace. Whenever I'm jealous, I'm saying, listen, God was better to them than he is to me. That's not fair. I don't believe that God is a fair God. 
When you, when you step out on your, on your husband, on your wife, you're saying, listen, God, this man you gave me, this woman you gave me, they're not all that I need. So I need to, I need to, I need to go and, and get what I need myself. You're not good, God. And David, David was rebuked because he despised the image and the perception of God before the people. gave you your master's house I gave you your master's wives I gave you all of Israel and if that had been too little I would have given you even more that don't sound like a stingy God to me Satan lies to us and he misrepresents God all the time the very first statement that God spoke to mankind was in Genesis chapter 2 in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to pick up one of the statements that he made to Adam in the garden. In verse 15, the Lord took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man. Listen, y'all see that? The Lord commanded the man, didn't, didn't suggest to the man, but commanded, you better eat freely. Commanded him. I've given you everything in this garden, and you better enjoy it. I've given you a wife, wife, I've given you a husband. Now you all can do whatever you want to do, as long as you're doing it to each other. You better. That's in the Word. Keep reading Genesis 2. This is the kind of God we serve. I command you. You are, the free, to, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of that you will surely die. What God was saying, I want you to continue to freely eat, so don't eat this one. Because if you eat this one, then it's going to cut you off from freely eating. Because you're going into your own strength now when you eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the enemy came in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And the enemy said, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So the enemy lied and said, listen, God is holding something back from you. God has not freely given you everything. There's more, and he's not giving you everything. That's the lie of the enemy. He's misrepresenting God. God is really that good. <laughs> Let me give you one more story. Y'all heard of Solomon, David's son. In 1 Kings chapter 3, one night, Dave, uh, Solomon had a, had a dream. After offering up this, this elaborate sacrifice of worship, a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. But that night, the Lord came to Solomon in a dream. And, and Solomon, he, he, the Lord said to Solomon, he said, Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. That don't sound like a stingy God to me. Whatever you want, just ask. Solomon said, well, you know, Lord, I... You were kind and gracious to my father. You were faithful to him. I don't know how to go out and go in. I don't know how to lead the people. I'm a young man. 
So just give me wisdom. Give me discernment in verse 9, he says, so that I can govern your people and distinguish between right from wrong. And verse 10 says, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life and wealth for yourself, you've not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and a discerning heart, so that there will never, you will, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you more. See, God is pleased when you ask him. <laughs> He's pleased when you ask him. The opposite is true. You're going on your own strength. God's folding up his arms, patting his foot on the ground, saying, oh, my, my. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer, because we don't ask. God is pleased, and pleased when you ask. When you're going through a trial, God is pleased when you ask and say, Lord, I'm going through right now. I need some grace to go through. I need some grace to endure. I need some, if your marriage is hitting a rough spot, you just, Lord, I need some grace to deal with this man right now, Lord. My hand is reaching for the frying pan, and it's not to cook something, Lord. But it's, I need some grace right now. When you're driving these streets, you need to be asked, Lord, give me grace to drive. Ask. He's pleased with that. I had an incident on uh, Friday, or almost had an accident, and it literally would have been my fault. And you know what? The person that I almost hit followed me in, almost in a road rage type scenario. Pulled up on me like he was the popo. I mean, literally, like, you know, they come at an angle and not all the way up to your door, but came out. I let my window down because I wasn't scared. I ain't been saved that long now. You hit me on one cheek, I ain't that, I, you know, I don't know if I can turn the other one that quick. So I let my window down. I, I wasn't scared. And I, he called me everything but a child of God. I'm saying under my breath, Lord, I need some grace right now, Lord, because I want to open up this door and say, what did you say? I need grace. I need grace. That's how people get into road rage scenarios and people get shot and injured because they're not asking, Lord, I need some grace right now. You know just what you like your temptation. And when you see it and when you want it, tell God, I need some grace right now, Lord. He's pleased when we ask. He said in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In Luke 11, he says, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So God is saying, please keep asking me. 
Keep seeking. Keep knocking. That's grace. Grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You don't earn it. It's undeserved kindness. You can't be good enough. It's unconditional love. It's love without terms, without conditions. I love you if. I love this one more than I love you because this one prays more. This one gives more. This one serves more. So I love this one more. This one is a believer and this one is not. So I love the believers more. No, he loves unconditionally. That's what grace is. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. Grace is Jesus. He that has seen the Father, Jesus said, has seen me. Moses came with, with the law, but Jesus came to reveal grace and truth. Somebody said that grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is freely given. Before Jesus did any miracles, before he, before he even preached his first sermon, he simply by faith went to the River Jordan and John said, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And he baptized Jesus. And the father spoke and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But he didn't do anything. I know, I just love him unconditionally. I'm pleased with him because he walks by faith, not by sight. You're deeply loved. The name David means beloved of God. I just want y'all to know, though, in, what I, in spite of what I just said, he loves me more. I'm his favorite. I am. I, I am. I'm the favorite child in the Harvey household and in the house of God. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one. You got to think like that. That's the way John did, John the beloved disciple. He gave himself that name, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Gave himself a nickname. I believe that he loves me just that much. I believe that he's just that good. So Ephesians remind us, for it is by grace through faith that you are saved. Grace is his part. Grace is everything. My part is just plugging in by faith. <laughs> I didn't do anything but just stick my faith out and ask and he, he said he would bless me. It's not by works. It's a gift of God. If it was by works, we could boast about it. We'd be proud about it. Many of us who believe God is too good to be true, you're looking to work. You're looking to get some kind of claim to fame. You're looking to stick your chest out and say, look what me and the Lord have done. God's grace is manifold. It's, that means it's many-sided. Whatever you are going through in life, God's grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for you. Sister Mims, it's sufficient when you're going through cancer treatment, isn't it? God's grace. Sister Nikki, it's sufficient when you're going through divorce, isn't it? His grace is sufficient for you. It's sufficient when, you're, when your daughter has a near-fatal car accident, isn't it? It's sufficient for you. It's sufficient when mama is in the hospital, Randall. It's sufficient. Grace 
Grace is what we need for daily life. It's not just a one-time experience. I got saved. Now I got God's grace. Now I guess I better go back to work. No, every day, every moment, we live by his grace. Whatever we do, we've got to do it by grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace was not in vain. The work that I'm doing is by his grace. You need grace to love the unlovable. You need grace to parent today. You need grace to go to your job and deal with some of the folks you got to deal with. Grace. You can never get too much grace. <laughs> never get too much. Oh, we're hearing too many grace messages. not. Let them keep coming because it's revealing to us that God is just that good. You can never get too much grace and you can never give too much grace. So I bring this message to a close and musicians come back. The Lord wants us to know that we've got some action. We've got, we got some responsibility now to do. Our responsibility is to rewrap Jesus. Take off them work clothes you put on him. Take off them, that warden uniform you put on him with the baton in his hand, the police officer uniform, the sanitation worker uniform, the firefighter uniform you put on him. Wrap him up in grace and represent him to the world. God is saying to us, every one of us, we have the action also to live every day by grace. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the lights, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkland Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.